Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Paul Mellon McFadden, sitting here with uh, my mate Mike. How you doing, pal? What's up, Mellon? Going pretty well, man. I'm super excited to have a special guest here today. I'm also super excited not to have Raph on the show because somebody can't do basic math. Yeah. In the military and in aviation, we use Zulu time, which is like a global universal time constant utc time you hear it called as well and so we do a bit of code because we're all over the we're all we're literally all over the world and uh raf messed it up what can we say <laughs> he booked he booked exactly uh time to get on and record a podcast when it was takeoff time for him with an airliner full of uh passengers so what can we say it's our his loss is our gain something like that yeah i agree with that but more importantly, more importantly, Mike, um, people who are longtime listeners right back at the start of uh, Night Your Average Operator would have heard episodes on mentorship when we're really going through fundamental uh, key uh, underpinnings at the very start of the show. And, you know, we, we listed off uh, key people who influenced us when we were young. And I heard about an amazing man who influenced you as a child and as a, as a young adult. And uh, well, I should just throw to you to introduce our special guest today. Yeah, thanks, Melon. This is this is a really cool episode for me. I, I was thinking about it the last couple of days and I asked him to come on. Um, and we usually speak around uh, Veterans Day. So everybody knows Veterans Day in the United States was November 11th, which was yesterday. Uh, and then also it was Remembrance Day in Australia. Uh, and we we talked about that in post, and not a lot of people know that or the difference regarding Veterans Day and Remembrance Day. And um, so anybody that was out there that had, was part of the ceremony or for the veterans that listen, uh, we just want to say thank you for your time, for your sacrifices that you made um, and the things you have to offer society, which are some things that we're going to speak about today. But uh, going back to what Mellon said about the episode we did on childhood mentors. Uh, you're going to hear from one today. And uh, he's a, he's a, he was a massive one. I have lots of memories with, with him and his influences that he had on me as a man, uh, as a teacher, and also as a veteran. So I'd like to welcome on our special guest this week, Mr. Carl Huzar. Um, I will still call him Mr. Huzar out of respect uh, that I have for him. I tried calling him Carl and I feel totally awkward about it. So <laughs> anyway, Mr. Huzar, it's a pleasure to have you on. Well, uh, thank you, Mike, for having me on today and Paul as well. I appreciate the opportunity to join you guys in this discussion. Uh, we have, uh, Mike and I have a long history together. Uh, I'm very proud of where he is today and what he's accomplished. and. Uh, I guess we'll just try to tell the story as it goes. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, part of my success is also not just about me, but it's always been about making men like you uh, proud and carrying on what you passed to my generation. And uh, that's very important to me, always has been. So to hear that is is one of the best compliments that I think I could possibly get in my life to know that I'm on, I'm doing it right. and and your eyes. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, start this by saying that uh, I'm a career educator. And one of the goals that you always have in the business that I was in is trying to make people be positive members of the community to, to make them become uh, as good a citizen as they can be, to have them contribute to the community as best as they can. Uh, whether you become a multimillionaire and you're very successful in business or whether you're just someone who's uh, doing a good job cleaning the house, uh, being a, a, a good worker around the town, I don't care what level you achieve as long as your goal and your effect on the community and your family is one that's very positive. Uh, I think uh, as an educator, one thing that I've been telling a lot of people lately is that uh, in my older years, a lot of the students that I've had are, are older now. And 
part of the reward that I have is seeing them come back, telling me what they've done, even if it's something that uh, in their own minds is not very great, but that they have been very, very good contributors to the community, like I said. They, they've led a good life, and that's all you can ask for. As an educator, you never know when you have these kids for a year or two years and they move along the way. Uh, was your effort worthwhile? Did your effort have any kind of uh, effect on them? And knowing that uh, some of those come back and you hear good things, well, there's nothing more that warms your heart than knowing that, uh, that you did a good job, at least in your own mind, you tried to do the best job you could with them at that time. So, and again, uh, Mike, your evidence of that, which is uh, something that we've talked about over the years and I've reinforced that with you. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good thing for everybody. You know, you had the official title as an educator, as a teacher, you know, through, throughout school. But I think everybody is an educator. Everybody has that responsibility to bring those up around them and, and encourage them and, and mentor and coach them. Uh, and I don't think there's a better feeling than when, you know, it could be a, a child, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend. And they come up to you and say, I'm the way I am because of you or a huge part of it. You know, I, like Melon, like Michael, if your son comes up to you and goes, Dad, I have a great life because of the father that you were like, man, you're going to swell with pride. You know, it's like I, I'm doing it right. I'm, I'm, I'm on the right path. So, uh, you know, I think of an educator. I, 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 I see myself as an educator now, you know, that I'm older with some experience and it's it's my responsibility in my life to pass things on and to make people better than I am, uh, to leave something nicer than when I found it, you know, that old saying. So uh, I, th I think it's a blessing. I think it's an absolute uh, great adventure that I've been on. But going back to school, uh, we can kind of get into it and how I know you. Uh, I had Mr. Huzar for two, two classes in particular, uh, some years apart. Uh, first time was in eighth grade, which I spoke about on our episode. And uh, he was my history teacher. And during this time was September 11th when this happened. And I've, until this day, I can remember it very, very specifically. I'm in seventh period in a study hall. 80% of the school has already left. And I wanted to stick around to, to learn about what was happening, to see what was happening. And one of the one of the pillars for me that day was Mr. Huzar. I remember sitting in seventh period watching the TVs. I remember him going around to another room that I was in and say, turn the TVs back on. This is history and they need to know what's going on. This is going to affect their generation. And he looked at the TV. He looked up to his left. I was in the front chair and he said, I guarantee you that was Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda. Like I can still hear it perfectly in my head. And, and I had no idea as an eighth grader who Al-Qaeda was, who Osama bin Laden was, or like anything that was going on in the Middle East. And uh, I just felt always like uh, this magnetism towards him with his wisdom, how he carried himself, how he spoke about uh, foreign things, politics, government, responsibilities. He was just different from the other teachers. And uh, well, him and uh, Mr. Cardiff, Bill Cardiff, who was also an Army veteran, uh, I, I related to him a lot as well. And then I uh, went to high school, and I didn't have him again until I had government class, uh, U.S. government he taught as well. And I, I admit, I was not a good student in that class. <laughs> I think I was a C minus D student. Uh, I struggled with it, and uh, I, I tried my best, but I remember it was challenging, but how important that stuff has become in my life with the career I've chosen, the interactions that I've had around the world uh, with the military, with Department of State, with government, with other uh, foreign countries and how things work, but also ultimately how different uh, and, and with respect to, to Australia and all these other uh, westernized countries, how grateful I am to live in the place that I do compared to other places that I've been and the freedoms that we have, the opportunities that we have and our responsibilities as veterans, but also as citizens of the Western civilization uh, has just taken the blinders off. And every day I wake up grateful for 
you know, that education that I learned, not just out of a book, but from somebody like you. So go ahead, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say, what, what you hit on there about uh, democracy and people having a sense of what it takes to make a country work the right way. Uh, I think we've maybe even discussed this before that we're so deficient in many areas about appreciating what we have in our country and then what it takes to make our country work the right way. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into the democratic process. And as an educator, you wanna plant the seeds. And as you said, maybe in 12th grade, you weren't uh, as keen as you should have been, but those seeds were planted at that time. And somewhere along the line, it kicked in about what it takes to make this place work the right way. And that's, to me, one of the goals that I always had whenever I was in front of the classroom trying to impart what I knew to the students. You never know what they'll catch on. You never know what they'll they'll take with them. But hopefully, something will grow sooner or later. And again, I think we're here today because you're evidence of of that process. It's pretty funny, um, Carl. These these big topics, these big um, sort of keywords that have, have already come out in this conversation, are things that we talk about a lot on this show. So citizenship, mentorship, service, and the underpinnings of a liberal democracy. Now, obviously, I'm not a I'm not a U.S. citizen, and we've got a lot of listeners in Australia. There's also people out here that are uh, listeners, and we've got people all across uh, UK and Europe as well. And it's not the exactly the same system, but underneath it all are the same values of that liberal democracy uh, democracy that we have that came originally out of the Greek and the Romans. And there's something about our our uh, way of life that's different, and it's it's something that should be cherished, and it's not obvious, and it's not something that's always going to just turn up on its own. And this has been something that uh, Mike and Raf and I talk a, a lot about about the effort that's needed to grow and sustain and protect the way of life that we enjoy. And so it's fascinating for me to hear you as an educator, obviously with a military background yourself, but what a what a premium, um, how important you've, you've uh, seen these seeds that you've been planting and to see a young teenager, perhaps who didn't maybe pick it up the first go around like a, a, you know, an academic student, but it's really impacted him the rest of his life because stuff that has come out his whole career. Uh, my take on that, uh, again, if I can refer my father's generation, which was the World War II generation, uh, in one of the talks that I give, I usually um, get to the point that uh, during World War II, America had roughly 150 million people in it, and there were roughly 16 million men and women in uniform during the war, which was well over 10%. And then if you count the Rosie the Riveters, who were in the airplane factories and the steel mills and, and the coal miners, you had well, uh, a great percentage of the country working to save the country. And so during those, those war years, those 150 million people struggling to save democracy, I think learned on the job, learned a great lesson. Now, I think the aftermath of that, and this is, I think what's governed me a lot of times, is that the aftermath of that, that those people who served all those years in the defense and the service of the country, now when they came back, uh, what do they do? Well, from my own personal perspective, whenever I was younger, I would look at uh, military parades or, or parades where the, where the fire companies were there. And there were literally companies, company-sized men, the firemen who were in uniform, who were not in the military anymore, but they were trying to serve their community in some way, uh, massive amounts of community service all through in, in many areas. And I think as time has gone on, and here we are in our present day, that lesson that the World War II generation learned has, has been on the way. We needed to somehow reconstruct that, that mindset that it's important that you give back 
as, as much as you can to keep what we have. No government have, has ever lasted forever in this world. And to think that democratic uh, nations can continue without any effort, that's foolhardy. So that's where we need to, I suppose, refocus what we need to do for the future. So that's great. What a great start for, for, for one. And I think the topic that you know we're really covering, as you've already heard, is uh, service and citizenship and what each of those mean, how, how they've come to be, all of that. So, my, uh, Mr. Huzar, my question to you, you know, you, you mentioned that your father was in World War II and ser served. And actually, an uh, interesting story, right, that you shared with Mellon uh, prior to hitting the record button, which I thought was cool. Um, how did your father's service and him coming home, being around you, how did that influence you to later go on your path of joining the army and, you know, the, the rest? Well, interesting. If, if I look at uh, pictures of my childhood, uh, there's one picture in particular where uh, I'm on, I'm on a bicycle and I'm probably eight or nine years old and I have a little jacket on and I have sergeant stripes on my jacket. They, I, I guess someone sewed them on there, but uh, so right there might be a, an influence of uh, what he had experienced in the past. I have uh, so many memories of uh, just the way he conducted himself, the, the stories he told, uh, the humanitarian things that he did uh, during the war. Um, one, one poignant uh, story that that has always stuck with me that he even he told that I told during his funeral was that uh, in the Battle of Biak, uh, inadvertently he he stepped on a, a dead Japanese soldier, and that had an impact on him for the rest of his life because as he you know, as he reflected upon you know, what just happened, he said, "Here's a guy who maybe has a family at home." Uh, they'll never see him again. And it, it just, it affected me in such a way that this story was told to me throughout my whole, my whole life. And to me, it, it, it imparted a sense of compassion that he had, even though uh, he was facing an enemy, there was still a sense of humanity that, that he carried with him. And I think that sense of humanity is, is something that, that he passed on to me, hopefully that I'm able to then Put forth as, as best I can. So, uh, little things, little things like that. Now, there's a lot of funny stories too. I don't mean to have a Debbie Downer story there, but uh, uh, these are the you know, the poignant facts. I also should say too, um, since we have Paul uh, uh, on, another point. In fact, the only I've seen my father cry uh, three times. Once when I went into the military once when my mother died, and then when my daughter and, uh, and I were writing down anecdotes of his life in the war, he was um, there in, in New Guinea for Black Sunday, which was a time in, in history when a, a bunch of planes were not able to land because of, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to remember the mountains in New Guinea that they that had a, a great fog in. And so there were planes just landing on top of each other. And he remembers seeing the, the pilots who were now deceased that they were just putting up against a, a wire fence just to get them out of the way as other planes are trying to land. And uh, that really had a great impact on him. And, uh, that broke him as far as being able to tell the story. So as tough as he was, Recounting that just uh, just took him back to that time period. So again, just a, another another sense of you know your dad's a tough guy. You never see your dad cry. He's uh, he's he's your hero, but to know that he had that sense of compassion uh, was really an eye opener to me, and uh, hopefully something that is a guiding light for the way I live my life. There's some major points that you know I'm thinking of stories in my head, and I know Mellon definitely is too, and. Uh, it, re it reminds me of a quote. I'm not sure who sent it, but I, I just saw it the other day and I, I posted it on our, our site of Sergeant Roy Benavides, who is a Green Beret Medal of Honor recipient in, in Vietnam. And uh, he, he restated a quote 
that I think you really just hit that's that's huge for for veterans, especially especially combat veterans. Uh, you ha- you have never lived until you have almost died. For those who have fought for it, life has a special flavor the protected will never know. And that quote has stuck with me for my entire career since I've heard that. And I think now I I always say I think I know that when I speak to somebody like you or Melon or Raph, and I see the difference within that realm of empathy or compassion for life, the appreciation of life, the appreciation of being important or having purpose. That's what's always attracted me and set veterans apart from normal civilians. Uh, they, they've gave something, they've had to witness something, they've lost something. And, you know, and to me, what I've learned is I never truly appreciate something while I have it. I have to see it when it's gone. So whether that be freedom, democracy, food, clean water, medicine, uh, <laughs> whatever, uh, I've experienced all of those and I've seen the other side. And every time I come home and I get off the plane, off deployment, and I take one step, it's just this sigh of relief and thankfulness and gratefulness. And and it's just this instant understanding of like, this could all go away. And realizing where you've been and what you've done and what kind of man you are. Like, forget about the, the military or whatever. It's like, who do I want to be as a man, as a human being, after the things I've experienced and the things I've seen? Um. I'm grateful for all of it now. You know, it's different. Go ahead, Mr. Uzar. A quick interjection there is, again, when you're in the classroom and you're dealing with young people, and then, of course, you're older, you wish there was a magical way that you could give them all the experiences that you have so that at a young age, they could understand. But unfortunately, the way it works for us is you don't understand all these things until you get a lot older. And then it makes a lot of sense. And then it's, uh, you know, I wish I would have known this then or, uh, but uh, how, how do you get that across? Yeah. So that's why well, it's important. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I said, that's why it's important. I think to keep, keep the story going. Uh, yesterday, when you talk about uh, Veterans Day, I had an opportunity to speak at one of the local American legions and it's in Trafford and where we were the High school band, the uh, the Ben Trapper High School band, the chorus, and the the uh, middle school uh, band all came, and so there were a bunch of young people amongst all these older people, and to me, I kind of changed what I said a little bit because it was a wonderful opportunity to tell these young folks, look around you, look look and see, uh, and experience the whole tenor of what Veterans Day is all about, and carry this with you. So that as you move on, this will this will have meaning and, and purpose to you. So I hope they you know, maybe if a few of them learned that lesson yesterday, then then good for them. But uh, again, it was a teaching opportunity, uh, giving a talk to a bunch of old veterans. I got goosebumps in my heart's pounding just a little bit just listening to that. We had a uh, a Remembrance Day service out here on our uh, our compound, Carl. We have a, a pretty big community of uh, British, South African, Australian, Canadian, New Zealand, um, and and a few other sort of sprinkling of ones and twos here, here and there. And we had the the eleven a.m. you know the eleventh hour of the eleventh day, the eleventh month when the guns fell silent on the Western Front in the initial armistice day, and uh, you know that's it, it. It's the same day, Veterans Day, Remembrance Day, that same. It's the pause to reflect on the sacrifices given by people and why the sacrifices were made. You know, I got together with a couple of mates. Um, you know, there's I'm lucky to have a few of like guys that I'd served with in, in Australia out here. And uh another close friend of uh mine and Mike, he's been on the podcast before, Simon was out. Uh and we all got together and had a cold drink afterwards. And just shared shared a few moments and a few stories and a few laughs. And um, there's something special about being together with brothers in arms on those days to be able to have that reflection 
and we'd had that time earlier with the families and the children and everyone there, you know, and you can see the, the understanding going and my kids, you know, now sort of 13 and 15, my daughter standing up on her own during the minute silence, you know, and for the last post and rebellion stuff. And I wasn't with her and she knew that she knew to do that and that that was appropriate. And you can sort of see that understanding and that story being passed to the next generation. Uh, uh, just uh, in addition to uh, your comment about uh, brothers in arms, uh, a very neat and interesting point to the ceremony that I was at yesterday is that um, uh, Trafford uh, PA is named after Old Trafford in Manchester. And so the vice commander at the Legion has traveled extensively and uh, has written a book on World War I, which uh, maybe that's another show we can get into. <laughs> um, so he was able to strike up friendship with uh, the military group in, in Manchester. And so he thought it'd be a nice idea to have Old Trafford and Trafford PA have the veterans of, of, of each come together. So we did Zoom yesterday and everyone on both sides of the ocean had a celebratory drink in remembrance of uh, Veterans Day and Remembrance Day. So it was kind of uh, well, a heartfelt experience having the, the guys from the other side and, and from our side to, to share that. So I just wanted to throw that in, but it was a, a, nice, a nice way to handle Veterans Day from that respect. I think that's one of the biggest things that I never expected to learn about or to feel is, uh, you know, you grow up in your home country and it's like our military and our guys do this and, you know, this and that, whatever. Uh, now that I'm almost, you know, I'm still a young guy. I'm almost 35 here in a couple of days and I've served with uh, British, Australian, Lithuanian, Latvian, uh, African forces, uh, other European Norwegians, like all over. And no matter where you go or what you do, there's different beliefs, there's different religions, there's different whatever. Veterans always seem to be the same because the one thing that they carry is this is bigger than me. My life is bigger than just me. And they, they, sacrifice and give their time their energy their effort to something greater than themselves that they believe is you know whatever happiness freedom security doing the right thing and i've sat around with every one of these guys sitting in a a team bar or on deployment or wherever sitting around having some beer or some tea or whatever and we all share the same type of stories and I never expected that in my entire life to be sitting around a table with guys from 10 different countries sharing the same experiences. And we all grew up completely different from different places in the world. And I, I, I think that's one of the coolest parts when people ask me, what's, what's a great thing about being in the service and like what you've done? And I was like, it's definitely one of those is definitely it is realizing that veterans are all kind of the same. Because I believe we all share the same values, like you talked about, about having empathy and compassion for some of the things that we witnessed and experienced and try to be, try to be better, try to live better and try to uh, share that with other people for the betterment of society. So that really hit home. Yeah. Uh, another interjection here is that uh, the commonality among veterans uh, with um, our historical society that uh, I mean, I'm president of, we have an opportunity to do things to try to educate the community about uh, our history. And one of the things that we have uh, in charge of is a, a cemetery, a historic cemetery that dates back to 1784. And we've tried to maintain this cemetery since 1995. And as a godsend, over the past year, we have a, a gentleman who is a, a veteran who is taken charge of trying to rehabilitate the cemetery. And, and as a result, has got other of his fellow veterans involved. And I, I guess when you talk about the idea of compassion and service, uh, that this is a great example of uh, these guys are far removed from the military now. 
but there is that that common sense of well let's get together let's go let's go help bill out let's 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 remove these trees let's try to get the gravestones looking better and so they have they have a purpose there which uh, you you don't see in the general public uh, there's civil war veterans there's revolutionary war veterans there and they're going to make it right they're going to put we we've sent letters to the va to get new gravestones made but we're going to make this place something that has dignity and respect and again where does that come from it, it comes from those guys who have a common purpose and who have experienced what it what it means to try to make this place what we know it should be what it can be in a democratic environment yeah so my, my quick question for you you know and we're talking about this and i've kind of spoke on how i've evolved and learned things uh what was your experience after being around your dad and that and the, the greatest generation to being a young man and deciding to join the army going to vietnam like what was your experience in learning about all of this stuff that we're talking about well um i just think that uh you know, that that whole era was was rather uh a tumultuous era and so there were those people who still felt that there was a sense of responsibility that you had to serve the country and uh i would imagine it's pretty hard for me to just parse out where that came from but it's just something that uh is built in it's instilled in you from from the time you were little i i have i have no idea it's just it's just how i how i grew up and i would assume that it was the environment that uh, that he created. So, like in, like I uh, alluded to before, that environment growing up with all those post World War II generation people uh, to my generation was uh, was a learning experience in of itself because you always had your your uncles to tell you this story or, or what they did there or their friends and if you if you went to the uh, to the local club and they, they they took you to the to the fire department uh, or to the uh, some place where they had a drink and they drug you along you were you were listening to their stories and this kind of grew on you and uh, that became part of of what your lifestyle would be and when when you left school carl you know you've been exposed to these pretty pretty amazing group of people it sounds like you had some really great mentors around you not just your dad but other people who had those same values and you then have, have left school and you're looking out into the world. Is that, did you decide to join the military straight out of school or did you, how did that unfold for you? No, well, actually truth be told, um, I was uh, already out of college. And uh, then uh, that's when I was, I was drafted in, I didn't join, I was drafted. Now, and that in itself, uh, it was a life changer because I already already had a a job with uh, uh, Bell Laboratories in New Jersey. Uh, I was I was uh, I was married, and the uh, the specter of having to go through all this. Then uh, I still reflect on this. It, it changed it changed my life. Um, I was in basic training with a a guy who was a principal. Who was he was in the same boat as I was. He was out of school. He was older. He was now in the military. And the idea of being well, uh, Mike knows this. I always talk a lot. So the idea of, of perhaps uh, getting into education uh, was really, <laughs> really whenever I was contemplating, uh, you know, where I was going to go in the military was that's where the, the seed for me kind of kind of grew. But um, the uh i don't know the the whole idea of where i was going to go with my life and, and getting into the military and then the impact that the military had on me is you know it, it, it i'm still contemplating how it changed my life and i'm hoping that it changed my life for the better so i, I that's about it i, can say I love so uh, i love a person that literally just how you said it is one of the most uh nice things to hear i don't know just to put it blatantly is 
the people that are doing the right things that are hard work are always saying, I, I wish I could be better. I hope I'm doing things the right way and always going. The people who don't are the ones that are like, yeah, I'm good. I, I arrived. I did everything. And it really just pops to me that really good men in general, but also tend to be veterans, not all of them, but tend to be veterans are always looking on how to improve. You know, they, what's the saying? Always improve your foxhole. <laughs> you know, that's always a good, I know it's a good army reference for you both. You know, Mellon used to be a ground pounder before he traded in his boots for his uh, teacup. But, uh, you know, it, it was always, uh, always improve your foxhole, your fighting position, wherever you're at, and you can always improve. And the people that always strive to figure out ways to become better at what, at anything really has always stuck out to me versus people who just show up, they achieve something and they say, well, yep, that's it. I did it. I'm good. I made it. And just kind of mediocre after that. Um, you've always been that person who've always instilled in me, like, you don't know anything, even when you know something like there's always education, there's always something to do. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, I think Paul probably, uh, are you aware of the uh, great football town Pittsburgh is the Pittsburgh Steelers? The mighty football. Steelers. I might, I might have heard, I might have seen a thing or okay, two you, from. You might have heard them. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Mike has told you some stories, but uh, 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 the military aside, and although maybe in a way still related, one of the things uh, as a, an educator that I always try to impart, and this was a this is a football thing that I learned. Um, we had a, a great coach uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers whenever the Steelers were winning all the Super Bowls, Chuck Knoll. And uh, he was a man of many talents. But one thing that he said that I've probably repeated more often than not, and this is something that uh, Mike just alluded to, is that when you look around at, at, at what you've done and what you've accomplished, and this was an analogy he used on the football field. He's, he, he's, he basically said, you never arrive. You might have accomplished something, but uh, okay, what's next? You never arrive. And that kind of always stuck with me. So you're always looking to better yourself and, and the environment that you're in. Uh, you, not, not to be satisfied with where you are, but to move on. And I think he tried to motivate his football players in that respect. And uh, we need more of that today. 100%. I, <laughs> the thing that I just took out of just what you said over the last couple of minutes, the one actual quote that really just hit me was, you're thinking about joining the military. It's more than a year ago. You know, we're talking Vietnam draft and that your sentence was that you're still contemplating how it changed your life, that there's, there's lessons that can still be learned there's, there's gold that can still be found by going through something that has passed a long time ago, but is very momentous and impactful, that there's, there's lessons there that can be extracted if we do the contemplating part. So in your teaching and educating uh, life, how did you, what was the stuff that you took from the military when you then transitioned into becoming an educator full-time, Carl, and started impacting young men and women like Mike? I, I would say that being a veteran and as we've all been through the, the rigor of becoming a military individual, uh, try to pass on to, I think the importance of, of having a, a sense of direction and having a sense of, of responsibility. And I use the word rigor, but that you have to get things done. I think one of the things that my students complained about and a lot was that uh, I made them study. You, you, had, you, you couldn't uh, pass the course unless you studied. I know when I taught uh, government, and uh, there's uh, horror stories of uh, my government course teaching Supreme Court cases. I, I had them learn for a final exam, 150 court cases, which they had to pretty much know, which I probably don't even remember now myself. But to get through that test, you had to be pretty well spoken on those court, on those cases. And now that was almost a, uh, a thing that people look forward to every year, but they hated to get to get through. But I've had so many students come back 
who were then now going into college that come back and say, hey, I, I took a political science course and I breezed right through it. And the professor said, well, how did you know all this? I, said, I learned all this stuff in high school. So th the point there being is that uh, I try to be a little tough, I guess with all the other flowery words aside, I try to be tougher than uh, maybe what I needed to be, but I thought that life lesson uh, could be learned by those folks who were in my class. Well, I think in an age of easy push button, I want it now, give me it. Uh, those, those rigorous days of sitting in class and you pushing and, and introducing more adversity with studying and uh, some of the more rigorous topics that needs to be more. Uh, no, it's not, it's not supposed to be enjoyable all the time. You know, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of studying and understanding, especially when you haven't lived it. It's hard to maybe put yourself in the situation. I openly admit, you know, I wasn't fully engaged with it because I didn't understand it all yet. You know, I, I didn't really understand it until I was probably in my mid twenties after my second deployment. And I got back and dealt with a lot of stuff, experienced a lot more stuff, working with other countries and the world and seeing how it truly was uh, that I really went and understood a lot of that. Um, the one thing I will say that really popped out is it was, and I remember it, it was a, it was a break. It was a break in all of the U.S. government and Supreme Court cases. It was this break, and Mr. Huzar brought in a videotape, and it was about the Congressional Medal of Honor, and it talked about the medal and and what it meant in the military and service. And I, I again, I can still hear it, and I've I've asked him about it because I'd love to watch it again, and it had such an impact on me. But it said, you know, in this world, there are two symbols that define true sacrifice. One is the cross of Christ, and the other is the Congressional Medal of Honor. And that's how this video started out. And then start sharing these veterans from World War II and Vietnam, old, older men at this time, crying and talking about love for one another, about sacrifice, about the meaning of freedom and, and what they went through and how selfless they were, how connected they were, and in particular, how they talked about that medal, of that it wasn't them. The, that medal was not about them, that they shared it. It was a shared bond, a shared experience, everything on every level. And that, that class that day, literally reached in through like I have goosebumps right now talking about it like it still affects me to this day and uh, that's when I really start settling in and I think I really start having deeper conversations with Mr. Huzar because I'd always stay after class or at the end of the day come down knock on his door hey Mr. Huzar what's going on hey what's your what do you think about this and you know I, I was thinking this or I saw this in the news or what's going on in a uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, or how this was going to affect us, you know, always picking his brain. And he always had such a a great answer, even if simple, sometimes they are simple answers, but he, he always had a good one. And I always walked away feeling better and uh, wanting more. I, I think it's fair to say. So that was a memory that popped up when you're talking about that. Yeah, well, evidenced by the fact we're talking today. So uh, all, the, all the lessons were well learned. You know, one one quick point about uh, the Medal of Honor. I know that uh, during the pandemic, I did a lot of world traveling on YouTube, uh, visiting different islands and uh, places that I probably will never be, but I, I watched them uh, on on YouTube on TV. But uh, I I guess uh, if you want lessons in humility, looking at the excerpts of Medal of Honor winners that they have there, the, the testimonials that those, those gentlemen have is, is really something that is heartfelt and, and it's still so educational to, to listen to what those, those guys have to say, what they went through. And your, your point, Mike, about uh, the humility that they've, they've shown. Uh, if, uh, boy, if, if we can only transfer that kind of feeling to everyone, we'd have a, a much better world. But uh, Lessons to be learned from those guys for sure. You're, you're on point with that. When I was going through my uh, basic training many years ago, Carl, when I was a young, young recruit McFadden, when I was 17, I was wearing army boots, as uh, Mike said, 
every night when you'd be sitting there and you're, you know, in your room doing your brass or trying to get your boots shiny and all that stuff <laughs> that just takes takes weeks and weeks sitting up yeah. until midnight and all that sort of stuff, talking with your mates. One of the uh, directing staff, uh, corporals would walk up and down and he would read the equivalent in uh, Australia to the Medal of Honor is the Victoria Cross, which is the the same ultimate level of uh, gallantry in, in combat operations and many of them are posthumous awards. And he would read different, you know, the citation just from the start to finish as it was written. And those stories going in, in those early days, um, while you're learning really just the basic, most basic part of the craft comes out and, and the, on each of the army bases around Australia, the, 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 the soldiers bar is always named after a VC winner. And there's always a site, the citations in near the door somewhere to read those stories. And it, there's nothing that is, uh, you may have done the best. You may have run the fastest time or done the most push-ups or shot really well that day in your training, but there's nothing that brings home, uh, the immensity of the task that can fall on your shoulders than when you hear those stories, as you've just said, um, those extracts of what some people have been able to, the strength they've been able to draw upon and demonstrate in those times is something that's, you know, it generates humility. It generates gratitude for a warm meal and so on. And, 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 you know, always end up in the thinking of, would I be able to do anything even close to that in that same situation? So there's, and, there's a lot to learn there. Uh, you use the word humility. And I just want to quickly say that uh, I think uh, upon reflection, that is a common thread that I think runs through all veterans that they, they've known what they've accomplished. Uh, it doesn't have to be something that's overexposed, but there is a, a just a, a deep inner sense of, of of accomplishment, and I think that transmits into how they live their lives. And those Medal of Honor winners are certainly a testament to that. Yeah, the, the, there's not a day goes by now that I don't relate to something that I've learned or been through within military service that doesn't all fully flow into my regular life how I interact with my friends, my family, how I think, how I feel, literally everything has brought me to this point, you know? And, and like I said, I'm, I'm still on the up and up. Like I'm still looking to learn and grow and figure out some lessons. You know, like you said, 50 years later, you're still wondering how it changed your life. You know, there's things that I've experienced 10 years ago and last year that I'm, I'm still trying to process and, figure out why I had to go through that and what I dealt with and what I can pull out of it for the better. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I, I found that God is just kind of letting me know when it's the right time that he's been putting people in my life or certain experiences that I've dealt with before. And I've taken the time to, to learn the, the lessons from it and realize the positives and having the ability, you know, I'm not a teacher, uh, as you were, but, you know, kind of as an educator, a mentor, so to speak, and be able to open up and communicate and share those things. Maybe as an active duty guy, I'm not sure, I'm not a veteran yet. I'm still trying to earn that title. Uh, but I, I think it's a tremendous responsibility given to me by God that I'm still alive uh, after I questioned that for many years about why it wasn't me and it was my friends instead that that passed away. Uh, but he's slowly showing me my purpose in going around. And the more I interact with more great, great people, great veterans, great men, uh, it inspires me to do better. And like I said, half of this conversation, I've had goosebumps and I feel my heart pounding through my chest, you know, just having these conversations. And um, if you would ask me, what, 16 years ago when I graduated from high school that I would be having Mr. Huzar on as my guest and sitting here talking as our guest, sitting here talking about the things we're talking about. I, I wouldn't believe you. It's crazy. My, my grandfather uh, on my father's side, he passed away when he was 89, but he, he told me something that probably has stuck with me more than anything. And one of his comments to me in his final days was, Carl, 
you never stop learning. And that's kind of my mantra. That's what, that's how you, that's how you go. I've got a question for you, Carl. You've, you've just got such a, a depth of experience in doing what you do with the educating. Clearly, you know, Mike's not a, a teenager anymore and he wasn't your first student. So you've been doing this for a long time and all of us in life, um, you know, from time to time, we have to refresh ourselves and interact with younger people as they're coming through. And you, you've been doing this your whole career. So my question is, um, what is it that you've done to be able to connect with teenagers that has been a way that's been impactful, that you've been able to get traction and get, a, get people motivated or you've been able to generate results and so on, that you've had such a lot of experience in doing? Well, I think the, the simple answer to that, and when I mentored teachers uh, as, a, as a principal and, and, and bringing new people into the profession, uh, I think what I tried to say was that this job, if you look at it that way, if you look at it as a job, it's, uh, it's not a nine to five kind of thing, but it's a, it's a profession and you have to have a passion for doing the job as, as an educator. Now, assuming that that's what you have adopted, you have, you have that passion and you have that interest and it's, it's, it's something that is part of your life. Uh, as a student, you can pick that up very quickly from that teacher. If the teacher is just passing the time in front of you, if the teacher is uh, you know, wanting to get out of there at the end of the day, uh, if the teacher is not willing to uh, wanna answer your question or take the time to try to help you through something, uh, those are the kind of things that uh, as, you, as you grow into the education business, uh, you, you begin to learn to connect with the younger people. You have to be, you have to be accessible to them and, and they have to be uh, understanding that uh, they can connect with you. And when, when, they, when you have that connection, and it can even be a silly one, like you, you know the latest song on, on the radio. I'm probably dating myself by saying radio. But, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know, they know that they know that you know some of the things that they know, and and that's kind of a hook right there. That uh, they there's a maybe a trustfulness that they have that man uh, hey, maybe I can talk to this person and they'll understand where I'm coming from. And the other thing too is you have to understand that regardless of the background uh, that the kids have, you you look at every student as as an equal because you never know whether this person's coming from a, a family of great wealth or, or the family is very poor or they had a really bad morning or you just, you just never know. So you always try to, to be empathetic and, and open to what can I do to make this individual a better student? How, how, do, I, how do I connect with them? How can I impact them in some way? Again, using the theme that we said from the very beginning to make them better people, to make them a positive contributor to their family and the community into the country. That's a freaking great, great answer right there around, yeah. around, yeah, yeah. The level of the commitment that the teacher has or the mentor in that relationship has with the person in the subordinate role is immediately apparent. And we all know when we're the one in the junior position, whether that person's really their hearts in it or not, it, right. it's, it can't be faked, you know, you can't, there's no faking that and, and that comes across immediately. Some great stuff there about how to connect with them. You know, I'm going to go listen to some music, I reckon. Yeah, he's not lying. I mean, everything that he just said is exactly how it transpired between him and I is he said he was different. He had passion for teaching. He had passion for U.S. history, for government, uh, for the way he spoke about the military and service and everything that we've just covered on this whole episode. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, the first time that I got to experience a military type event with, with Mr. Huzar was in 2015, I believe, at the high school when the, our high school built a memorial for all Norwin high school veterans who have been killed since Korea. Well, uh, no, 1958, I believe. Right. Uh, all their names are up on there. And uh, I, I spoke up there for, for a fallen teammate that, that was there, and I was extremely honored. And there was tons of veterans in the crowd from the community. 
And Mr. Huzar was there. And also uh, Mr. Cardiff, who was an Army veteran. I've spoken about him before and interacted with the high school. And I was up there in my uniform. And I really took a step back before I spoke. And uh, I just was blown away that I was no longer a student, per se. But I was in this brotherhood and part of something special with these guys that you know, it made me want to get better. It made me want to grow into what they probably dreamed I would. You know, like Mr. Huzar saying, you want the next generation to realize what's at stake and they want to hand off the torch to you and trust you that you're going to protect it and or make it better. And I felt that connection, I think, that day for the first time with Mr. Huzar. And, uh, you know, I, I have four years left of my career. I'll hit 20 years and I want to retire and move on and do other things with my life, pursue excellence in other ways. And I think about it all the time about interacting with the next generation and passing my torch on that was given to me. And I want to trust you. I want you to take this and, and hold it sacred, hold it close to you, respect it because it's so special. And I hope that one day when I'm an old man, that I'm a, I'm a veteran and I'm sitting around in my old vet's hat and like whatever, <laughs> that some 20 year old kid comes to speak at a memorial that I'm at and speaks the same way that, you know, I, that I did, that I was able to because of men like you and everybody that's come before me. And I think that's one of the most, um, a little teared up, one of the most honorable things I think I'll ever experience in my entire life that, I, that I'm so grateful that I can be part of. Well said, and I'm proud of you. It means the world to me. <laughs> wow. That's some, that's some really great stuff there around being part of a brotherhood and finding the passion yourself. And when you are displaying that passion, that's the thing that's super attractive to people. So there was a, a way of being as a teacher that you were back in the day, Carl, that inspired Mike to do what he's done, you know, and it's not necessarily anything that you could find written in a book about how to teach, you know, and it wouldn't be in the syllabus of what was supposed to be taught in that class, but it, that's what's going across underneath it all and through it all. It's like the, the thread inside it. Absolutely. And uh, it's, there's always been, a connection there and it's it's been uh overwhelming and it's it's been something that's very comforting in, in the same at the same time to know that uh you know, that impact that effect uh is there and uh mike's the evidence of that and uh, not only with mike but with uh all those who you've touched over the years again like i said uh, prior to to know that they're on their way and they're 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 good family people uh, they're living their life. They're making the, the community better, making the country better. Uh, that is the goal of an educator. I sort of feel like we're in the perfect place to to leave. The like It feels like it's just a beautiful place to, to wind up and finish. But before we do go, um, Carl, is there anything further that you wanted to leave our audience with? There's a lot of veterans who listen. There's There's men and women and there's people all across the world who do listen to this is there anything that you you wanted to get out that hasn't come out yet for this conversation uh i, I don't know I, it, we've covered a lot of a lot of topics but i would just say just sticking with the theme that we have that uh we are uh, to be one world community uh, let's let's work together to make this place better that's what we need to do boom i'm in I'm I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we've all been, that's what we're doing here, Carl. Uh, you know, it's such a privilege to have on uh, a person who's had such an influence on a, a, such a close mate of mine. And to, I got the sense, even in this short conversation of how impactful it would have been to have you in class as a teenager, you know, here am I at 46 and I'm like, man, I'm pumped, <laughs> full of energy. I want to go again. There you go. So an absolute privilege to have you on, you know, I just, uh, 
perhaps we can have a further chat down the road and and pick your brain on other topics because you know I, I i get the feeling that we're just really scratching the surface here well thank you so much for having me uh, it's been a privilege uh to talk to both of you on uh on the show and i'm just elated that i had the opportunity thank you so much guys thank you so much thank you mr uzar it's uh very surreal and I know we've kept in touch over the years and everything else, but like what really made me be like, man, I, I need to get Mr. Huzar on here is just we've we've talked about all these topics and doing everything. And I was just like, you know what? I just need to shut up and have him on and have him speak because I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> so thank you very much for taking the time on the Saturday morning to to come and speak. And um, if anybody would like to have a question. For, for Mr. Huzar or any veterans that have a shared experience or anything, please feel free to, to reach out to us. I will get the questions or responses to Mr. Huzar directly. Um, we all like hearing how we impact and maybe if this episode really impacted you or made you think, we'd like to hear about some of your stories of educators, of veterans uh, that have affected you in your life. And um, we're all about sharing that. So reach out to us if you can. And you'll find us at pushingbackchaos at gmail.com. So until next time, thanks very much for coming on, Carl. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Take care.